Okay, we're recording. What? What? Hello, everybody. It's a podcast. Welcome to Dear Maddie Show. I'm your host, Matt Marr. This is a this is a fun day today. I'm like mixing it up. It's Dear Maddie on the road. I have my guest today. It's Phil. How do you say your last name, Phil? Svitek, right? There you go. You I got always it. get nervous right before I say somebody. Phil Svitek. Also, because this guy's my fucking boss, y'all. <laughs> so, oh yeah, you can cuss on the show. Don't worry about it. Okay. And so, thank you for being here, Phil. Of course. It was my pleasure. Um, one of the funny parts is uh, you wanted me as a guest, but you were too afraid to ask me, and it was actually my idea to you. It was. It made me very happy. <laughs> so, uh, happy to be here, of course. Thank you very much. And so, the, ra- the way that we know each other is... Um, so I, for some of you have seen, um, I'm always tweeting, twatting about it, uh, is I do recap shows for AfterBuzz TV. And what is your, I just know you're in charge of AfterBuzz. I don't know your official title. I just know uh, you're My boss. official title would be executive producer slash chief operating officer. That means he's in charge, y'all. Ladies, he's single and he's cute. Right? Are you single? Uh, I won't reveal that. Uh-oh. Oh, he's private. He's private, everybody. So um, anyway, so that's how we met, like through training, stuff like that. And I just thought you're you're interesting and you enjoyed like, – and you, you're you like me. Like we did um, – where I knew I wanted to have you on was after I did the Anatomy of a Wonder Woman show with you mm-hmm. because you're like me. You like to talk about the fun stuff, but you like to talk about kind of life's questions and get a little deep into stuff. So um, – Anyway, I just so thanks for being here. So I'll stop fluffing Phil, everybody. But absolutely, I, I think um, you know as part of that, the way I view it, um, we spend so much time sort of trying to be better. But what we really should start with is being better ourselves. Um, and mm-hmm. in fact, like literally, it's it's my mantra. Like uh, if you ask me, like what's my purpose in life? Well, it's to be better and better and better and better. And that for me encompasses all things. And I think uh, more people perhaps should adopt that. Really, there's some women out there right now that want to know if you're single, Phil. They're really <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but it's gonna well, be we'll that type of show. We're gonna we'll find out. So um now I am interested and again, you can say no or I can edit it out. Um I because where are you from? Are you from California originally? Like how did you get so this is what I'm asking, like kind of what was your process of getting to after buzz? I mean, and getting involved with Kevin and Maria and like doing this and just moving to California. Got it. Um, well, it's a strange journey, and uh, you you tell me if it's too long or short. Um, oh, you're not too long. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so I'm an immigrant. Um, both my parents are Slovakian, which is the former Czechoslovakia, mm-hmm. you know, the Iron Curtain and back in the Soviet Union wow. and so forth. Um, and for all intents and purposes, we were sort of fugitives that wanted to, you know, discover a better land and opportunity. And so, um, you know, now when I say that I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant, I was literally one when we moved to America. So mm. for all intents and purposes, I am Americanized and, you know, I know the culture. It's not like I'm fresh off the boat type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I did spend summers in Slovakia. Um, so I went back and forth and had uh, essentially what I would call a Huck Finn upbringing in Slovakia, which I enjoyed. Oh. It, oh, it gave me nice. two economies, one of technology, one of just nature. And I rather enjoyed that. Um, as far as anything else, uh, I went. I always knew I wanted to do film. And so I went to Emerson College. Um, and there, Maria Menounos is an alumni of that college. Yeah, my my, my best friend, dear Maddie, episode two, Ali Velez, she went to school with Maria. There you go. There you go. So did, maybe world. you know. Do you know an Ali? I think maybe she was before or after them. There was like I had a whole group: Tasha Riggs, Ali Velez, Susan Van Prague. 
I don't know. I think they graduated like in 01, 02. That was before, unfortunately before my time. Emerson, good school though. Sorry, keep going. I didn't know this. I See, this Sweet. is what I love about Dear Maddie's show. I learned new things about people I've known for a while. Anyway, go ahead. Absolutely. Well, they, they call it the Emerson Mafia, um, which is not sort of more of a harsher term or I don't know what you want to call it. Um, basically, we stick together. Mm. And so um, Kevin Bright, who's the crea- creator of Friends, um, he's an alumni of Emerson as well. And he he taught a class and I got to join his class and so forth and I actually excelled. Um, My background was in editing and I was learning to edit and he really liked what I did. Also taking note was a mentor of mine, Pete Schiavone, who ironically was a mentor of Maria's. And when Maria Menounos and her fiance now Kevin Undergaro were shooting their movie Adventures of Serial Buddies, Maria had approached Pete and said, do you know anybody that could essentially facilitate uh, the shoot and you know edit on set keep track of the footage and so forth and you know essentially my name came up and I just took the opportunity and uh, honestly as far as anything else uh, it all started there and took off from there mm. uh, me and Kevin really bonded um, you know he asked do you want to fly out to LA to edit the movie I said yes no hesitation by the way this was you know still uh, with a year left of college and mm. they flew me back and forth on weekends, on holidays, and so forth. And, uh, you know, from there, the relationship has kept ever since. That I didn't know that. That's wonderful. So are you originally from the East Coast? I grew up in Connecticut primarily. Oh, okay. Um, but we also, you know, up until like the age of 10, we moved around a lot, uh, primarily in Boston, in the, mass, in the Boston area, mm-hmm. like Ashland we lived in for a little bit. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I would consider Connecticut as my hometown, but mm-hmm. Massachusetts more to my heart. Mm. Do you miss the fall right now or autumn? It's so pretty beautiful there. Yes and no. It's it's kind of interesting. I mean, I, I certainly miss the city. I really had a wonderful time in Boston. Um, and, you know, L.A. is a different city for mm-hmm. sure, both uh, culturally, structurally, and certainly weather-wise. For sure. For sure. Now... Um, this is totally, you tell me if it's too personal, but I'm just on my mind because I was just listening to NPR on the way here and they were, they were doing an interview with a guy who, um, was his, his parents were refugees from Vietnam and like he was kind of this similar where he, they moved to America when he was, wasn't one, he was, uh, four, but like, I guess because the way that worked is with, it's different if you're refugees, but still they, um, and it, he, he couldn't live with his parents for like the first few months when he lived here and all this kind of stuff. But still he talked about just growing up with parents that are immigrants that it was like, he had like, I'd never heard this before. Cause I'm a white kid from Oklahoma where he talked about, he almost sometimes felt like he used the word a stranger in his house, but he said definitely like he, his parents kind of, were more into Vietnam culture, but living in America where he was an Amer, you know, he grew up in an American school and everything. So, uh, I don't know when you said that, I just thought like, what was it like for you with your parents? Did, did y'all, was there definitely like, did you feel like you were straddling two cultures in a sense? And, you know, even first generation, um, kids go through this and this is why also Maria and I get along so well. It, it, she had, you know, her parents are immigrants from Greece and mm-hmm. uh, though she's first generation, you know, she's for all uh, intents and purposes, a Greek immigrant because that's what she was raised on. Um, yeah, exactly. I feel like first generations, especially, they are like torn between. Yeah, keep yeah. talking. Um, and so, you know, with me, uh, I think because I had the ability to go back um, and experience it for myself, um, 
it, it was def- definitely a different experience. So I, 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 rather than just sort of trying to assimilate to a culture um, that I wanted to be a part of, but be forced to a culture that I didn't quite understand. I understand both sides of the coin. And I will admit, uh, I didn't think I fit into America, nor did I fit into Slovakia. Um, and I think that's kind of, in a way, what propelled me forward that, you know, um, that I knew I was sort of unique and not, not in the sense how perhaps people are pushing it, but where I wanted to be better and different. And that started my mm. drive and my motivation rather than, you know, just this notion of like, okay, well, I can go through life and I'm this unique flower and that's just my fallback. No, I, I wanted to prove that I was different and that I deserved to be different. So is it like, I mean, I can relate to that interestingly enough that like growing up being super gay in the middle of the South, it was like, I didn't feel like I fit in. So instead of trying, so what, and you can tell me if I'm hearing this is right. So instead of trying to fit in, you were like, why fit in, be my unique self and embrace that and, and just go and like go towards that and just be even more unique and be my awesome self. Kind of, but it's certainly not, my actions didn't always equate to that, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, one of the things I always knew from a very early age is that I didn't like parties and I didn't like that. But um, have you ever seen Dexter? Uh, I've seen like one episode. Okay, I mean, I know so it's here's the good news. I've not actually seen Dexter either, but um, it's been told to me like, you know, Dexter would try to assimilate to, um, uh, you know, the sort of human conditions and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I'm referencing a Showtime show of a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, but the fact of the matter is I would do these certain things and I knew I didn't enjoy them, but I just tried to just assimilate. And the more I did them, I, I was like, yeah, I, I really hate this and this is not what I enjoy at all. That's and- how I felt about boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they're pretty, but I don't enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> but was it things, so what type of things? Was it like parties or like people like, like what type of things that everybody else was doing yeah, that you were like, yeah, eh. it, was, it, it was the small things. It was definitely parties or, um, you know, still to this day, like, um, like even driving in a car, like I'd rather listen to a podcast or I, I'd l- rather learn something or read a book than just quote have fun, you mm. know. Um, or like like in the car, listen to music. Like it's not my. I get thing. bored unless it's like I'm in a mood. Yeah, I'm like, I'm with you on that. So um, I just have different interests and likes, and you know, in a way, one of the things that Pete Giovanni actually taught me was I put out a lot of tests against people. So you know, my humor is a very different style of humor and the people that understand it i kind of let into my inner circle mm-hmm. uh the people that don't um, that to me is a warning sign not that they're bad people but they're just they just don't get me it's not your tribe yeah yeah i think that's i think that's i think that that's great i think that especially when i what a beautiful thing in that because you developed this like in high school right i or did i mean again i didn't necessarily channel it in the right way um you know we all get like i said better and better but were you cute loner guy in high school? Were you cute brooding cute. loner guy? I don't know. I'll, I'll let other people make that assessment. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, I certainly wasn't getting girls back then. I can say that much. No, but like I think uh, what? Oh, I lost my train of thought because I was thinking about Phil Svitek being cute loner guy in high school. Um, no, but uh, I, yeah, I think that it, what I oh why I was interested if you did that in high school. What a cool thing to learn as far as like finding uh sorry i hear on my mic finding your tribe and kind of learning mm, learning what what people are necessarily easier that you connect with and not whereas 
and I was one of these people too, like in high school and in college and in my early 20s even, I just wanted to be friends with everyone. And then it was a skill for me in my late 20s to be like, oh, just because I don't want to be friends with this one and just because I don't want to hang out with this person doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm a dick. It just means that's just not the person I want to spend my time on. And it's hashtag boundaries, which we talk a lot about on this show. So I think that's actually pretty amazing that you were able to do that at such a young age because I don't think a lot of people do that so young. Well, I I guess let me clarify it. As as now I realize upon it, um, I was probably manipulative truthfully in mm-hmm. the sense that i i sought out what what people could offer in terms of value like mm-hmm. um you know as far as soccer was concerned i played soccer and i judged people based on how good they were and the value they could bring to me in terms of soccer mm-hmm. then there were people that okay, i like to make films and so it was like okay well who can help me with what mm-hmm. and uh you know <laughs> maybe in a not so good and genuine way i just kind of used people for what i needed them for mm-hmm. um and you know not in a fully terrible way but certainly the intent wasn't the right intent i guess mm-hmm. you know it was just like okay let's let's get this movie done and you're going to be play this character and this character and as long as you say the lines the way i want you to say them that's all i really care about mm. okay and again not the best approach but I guess it's healthy to realize that about myself. <laughs> no, you could be very – I feel like you could be a scientist. You're able to, like, kind of detach emotions from things well. I guess, uh, you know, I, I've – if there's one skill set I do have, it's problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, the great Einstein quote that I love is uh, it's not that he was a genius. It's the fact that he just stuck with a problem um, for longer. And mm. I think too many pro- people, especially now now – in this day and age of instant gratification, they just don't, mm-hmm. and they want someone else to give them the answer, but it doesn't have the same value. That is really true and kind of inspiring for – I needed to hear that today. Good. Something I was going through, like it fell through today, and I'm kind of like, where and I'm like, we're just going to – I'm going to just keep pitching it. Um, that's great. So look at that. I have an aha moment already on the Dear Maddie show. Um, well, and so now you're just uh, – you're – I mean, you're so what you do other things though besides After Buzz, right? Are you working on your own projects or? Um, I'm starting to. I mean, there's certainly in the circle of what I do. I, I, again, my background is film editing, and so um, primarily I work with Maria Menounos and Kevin Nagaro on the various projects that that they're sort of pitching and doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, unfortunately right now they're not public, but suffice it to say, whether it be you know sizzle reels that I'm putting together for the projects to pitch them or there's a documentary that's being worked on or, um, you know, various other things scripted and unscripted. Um, it's exciting to be a part of, mm-hmm. uh, and they allow me to be a part of it, which is fantastic. They don't have to, mm-hmm. um, certainly this place, uh, you know, is more than a full-time job in the best of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am figuring out that balance and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the creative stuff. Mm. So it, 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 you know, it just fuels me further. And I, I'm finding that balance. And uh, part of what's allowed me to get there is credit to, you know, whether it be Stephen Lemieux, Marissa Serafini, Roxy Stryer, or um, Brianna Phipps, uh, Jeffrey Graham. You know, those guys are really, you know, highly in command at AfterBuzz and have allowed me to not take a step back, but f- be on the bigger picture side of things where they handle the, the more of the day to day stuff, which has been fantastic. I, I you know, it's, it's part of their growth. That, he just named everybody, all the people at AfterBuzz, that I drive crazy with questions because I fuck things up. And I'm like, I'm sorry, did I email the wrong person? I don't know. 
Yes. <laughs> I need I'm sorry for having it. You know, I just they just definitely deserve the shout out. So. No, they work their ass off. They work their ass off very hard. Well, um, well, let's jump into some questions. We have two questions today. Okay. That some advice questions. We have one from James and another from uh, from Elaine. Okay, James said t- again talking about. I related to this question because I mean I'm I'm not I don't think as uh, nerdy as James is, but I definitely relate to this. So the question is, dear Maddie, I have recently started dating and I think I'm terrible at it. Oh, James is 27 years old, by the way. James, yeah, 27. Okay. I recently started dating and I think I'm terrible at it. I've been single for about two years, and before that, I was in a relationship for eight years my high school sweetheart. However, now that I'm older, I think I don't have a clue about dating. I find I find myself I'm dating women on Tinder and I'm very nervous on the first day. So much that some dates I've even canceled. I think the main thing is is I don't think I'm very interesting. I work in IT, which is boring to a lot of people. I don't really read the news because I think it's depressing. I basically like to play video games in my free time. Yes, I know I'm a nerd, but uh, it, I don't think it gives me anything to really talk about on a date. So, Maddie, what the hell do I talk about when I go on the first date with girls? I, I totally you, relate to this question, but go ahead. I, well, I, I think you take a step back first and stop g- giving yourself that much pressure. Like, first off, you know, um, just have fun with it. No, there's. I think you're putting too much pressure in the sense that it has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. You're just getting to know the person and just start there. Like, figure out what that person is interested in to see if you have common interests. You know, because guess what? Uh, there are girls that like video games. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we live in an interesting day and age where that is. A lot of them are here at AfterBuzz. I've met them. And yeah. they're, yeah, yeah. Um, and secondly, you know, rather than uh, sort of think of yourself in a negative way, just, just carry it proudly. You know, okay, yeah, so, you know, um, you've got a stable job, I assume, based on your IT work. Um, you know, you like video games, and, it, you know, the job allows you the luxury of being able to um, do what you want in your leisure time that's great um and just focus on that and you know what just you know what let the goal be just to be friends first and then see where it takes off from there that's always been my my thing is um i always worked on myself and if something came along then it was great but it was because it had some friendship behind it Rather than like, ooh, I'm attracted to this person from an appearance standpoint. Let's see where this goes. Like, mm-hmm. um, I was never really interested in that. I wanted to know, oh, is there some sort of chemistry beyond that? Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot of attractive women out there, but that doesn't mean we're going to be a good fit. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, James, I think there's several things that I thought about this. First of all, it makes me sad when you were when you say, I don't think I'm interesting enough. So I think on a whole, like dating aside james i think there's something like i i I would love to have a conversation with you about your own confidence about yourself whether it's his appearance or his brain or his humor whatever i just i feel like james you needed whether it's your friends or your whoever is your support group like you just need to kind of like even if you need to look in the mirror and do like whatever affirmations but look into like what can i do just to build up my own self-confidence because i'm telling you now if you're an it guy I, I, as somebody who's a little older, I'm like, that's somebody who's going to have a stable fucking job. That's attractive to me. But that's not the reason I'd stay with somebody. But so that, but I'm just using that as a point, James, that that is interesting to me. IT, I think people are, pat, I think when I was dating before I got with my boyfriend, I just wanted to be with somebody that was passionate about something or excited about life. Like I could have been with 
I'll never forget this. Sorry, this is a story. Uh, you so, it's your show. You know, Mama loves chocolate, so I usually I usually date black men. So this was, um, and my boyfriend's African American, and so, but, but my friends tease me because I've like tried. I I'm not like one of those like I'm only dating this race. I date anyone, but like. The guys I always dated a little bit more. They're like, you totally have a type. I'm like, I try to just be open-minded, but dang it. Just, so anyway, um, so I once met this guy on, I think it was Tinder or maybe it was Scruff. I don't remember. We went on a date. I was so excited to go on this date. This guy was like, he had an undergraduate degree in like music. He had a master's in, I forgot something. Oh wait, no, he had an undergrad in music and then now he was working for, uh, he did accounting stuff, but he was also, but he was working for a nonprofit that basically helps like struggling school band programs find instruments and do outreach for the kids. And he just had gotten a miniature schnauzer puppy, which my dog passed away a couple months ago, but she was a schnauzer as well. So I'm like, here's this guy who does volunteer work. He's like, was well-dressed. He was cute. I was like, this guy on paper is everything. Like, so we went on a date and it was the most boring date I've ever been on. And a lot of it was James because there just wasn't anything passionate that he talked about. He had these things in his life. But like when I asked him, like, so one of the date questions I asked would be like, so what are you passionate about in your life? Because sometimes what people do for their jobs, not what they want to do. And he would be like, well, um, you know, I go to work and I come home and I hang out with my dog and I like to watch the news. And that was his answer to that. There wasn't. And so for me, that was and that's fine for some people. But for my taste, I wanted somebody even if he said, you know what, I'm totally into stamp collecting. Like I went to like, well, I didn't even you know, flip I that, I flipped that same answer. Like, OK, y- you know what? Um, truthfully, I just go to my job and I don't really necessarily care about the job. But um, I love when I go home and I have a dog and we spend a lot of time. Yes, yes. Like, like if you said it's, it's it like just that. Same I, thing, just said in a different way. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely a side to it where you can take the most interesting subject and completely bore it down. Or you can take the most boring subject and make it Which I think James is doing that because yeah. IT is interesting to some people. Yeah, 100%. And also too, James, people like – and I don't mean this in a mean way, but people, most people, like either to talk about themselves or they least like to ask questions. So instead of putting the pressure on you of all the things you need to say, like I've got to like answer all her questions, what if you kind of take the role of the question asker? Because you started, yeah. Phil, talking about this, like ask her what she's interested in, ask her what's fun for her, ask her about her family, ask her like, you know, what's like her – What's like her favorite cheat meal? Whatever. Ask these. And then you'll get her talking and then you can build a conversation. Right? Yeah. And, you know, I I mean, I've always been create a fun activity. Like do something adventurous. Oh, that's smart. You know, like just let the experience even guide it. That way, like you guys can converse. Yes. But but just the experience of it is just fantastic. Yeah. Are you a good? You're a good first dater, aren't you? I feel like after this. Uh, well, because it, for me, yes, because I've gotten to know the person enough to where I can build it out. Where you know, like the last one that I remember, I, I stole somebody and I drove him to Manhattan Beach, and we did a series of events. But you know, the person loved the beach. You know, oh, I that's knew that awesome! So, well, I think that you went really going back to. I'm just going to reemphasize this, James, because I think it would help you. Again, you were able to do that because you didn't just like go on a date with all this pressure of this person is somebody I might marry or whatever or be the the mother to my children or whatever or that's going to be my parents. You're like, I just want to meet a person and develop a friendship. I think that's a better first step. Absolutely. 
Phil V Tech dropping the dropping the knowledge, everybody. Yeah, we tag teamed it. <laughs> we did a little bit. All right. This next question is from Elaine, age forty two. And Elaine says, Maddie, I'm writing because I'm having relationship problems with my mother. I haven't lived with my mother since I was five years old. She dealt a lot with drug addiction in her life. Uh, I think I would see her about three times a year. I was raised by my father and my grandmother. My father passed away uh, three years ago, and I've rekindled. Yeah, let's just pull, rekindled a relationship with my mother. Things are okay at this point. I wouldn't say that it's great, but it's not bad. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I totally haven't forgiven her. And honestly, I don't necessarily think my mom is the nicest kind of uh, what night. Oh, the nicest person in the world. She's sober at least, but she's just honestly not very happy to be around. However, my mother uh, is getting older and she's uh, starting to feel old. So she's saying things now that it's my duty to care for her in her old age. Um, quote, or not parentheses, I'm an only child. I have a problem with this because she never really took care of me, but I, then I feel guilty because she is my mother. Maddie, am I obliged to do this because I am her daughter? What do you think, Elaine, age 42? That's a tough question. I think that I is. Um, so if you're asking for my advice. I could take it first if you want, if you need time to think. But uh, Well, I guess I would say this, um, and let me know if you disagree. And uh, again, understand that this is also my first stab at it. Um, a... I think there's a difference. Parents almost have an obligation to take care of their kids, but I don't think the reverse is true. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? Because you as a child didn't necessarily get that choice. You didn't choose to come into the world. Yeah. So if you have a child of your own, yes, I believe it's your obligation to take care of that child. So I don't think you have to feel any sort of um, – you don't have to feel bad um, to have to help her. I think you're a good person and want to help her. So that's um, that's fantastic, and to that point, I think there is a way to establish barriers, and I know it's not easy um, in saying like, hey, listen, I do want to take care of you. Um, however, in order for that to happen, I need X, Y, and Z, and unfortunately, if you don't fulfill your obligation to that side of it, then you know I don't I don't need to be doing this because mm. you know hopefully that works. The, I mean, it's hard because you wonder with somebody who is. Um uh, yeah, I, I've got a lot of stuff, Elaine, in my head in that you said that, you know, I don't know what drugs your mother was battling with, but also, too, I know that, that depending on if it was methamphetamines or things like that, that can even affect kind of um, cognitive ability as people get older and things like that. So I don't know how rational necessarily on an emotional level and on a, a cognitive level what her mom, if how she's able to reason with her. But I do agree with you that... It's not your job. That's, you know, this is one of those things where I want to say, black and white, it's not your job to parent your mother. But then I also know if I was in the same situation, again, if you're someone who tries to be a good person, you don't want someone to feel abandoned. I, I think for you, Elaine, I think it's important. I, I'm curious about her life. Like, does she have a husband? Does she have a family? Like, what other support system does she have that if she does decide, I, I love what you said, Phil, about, you know, laying it down for your mom, like, if you want me to take care of you, these things need to happen and need to remain this way. Otherwise, it's not something I can do. Um, I have a friend, actually, who her father is 
valediction. She kind of said, hey, I can do these things for you. And she set him up and all that kind of stuff. And he kept fucking up. And she finally is like, she she's basically at this point, she saved a little bit of his money. And uh, she said, I'm not giving it to you because I'm either going to keep this when you decide to finally straighten up your life or I'm going to use this to bury you because I'm not paying for it. And I thought that was such that was really hard for her to get to that point. But at the same time, she did it when sometimes you have to parent your sometimes you have to parent your your parents, even though Mm -hmm. they aren't supposed to be that way. So I think, Elaine, I want you to get some support. From other people, and because if you do decide to help your mother out, this is—I've already told my boyfriend. I'm like, if we have kids, we're at least having two, because I can't imagine dealing with my crazy parents without my brother, you know. And so, do you have siblings? No, nope, just me. Oh God, I just depressed Phil. He's gonna have to take care of it. No, no, it's. Uh, <laughs> but is there pressure when you're a single kid? More kind of like, I, I know it's know. very I different because you have a relationship with your parents, but still. Uh, well, um, not the my dad passed away at this point over ten oh, years I'm ago. Sorry. Um, you know, I've I've dealt with it, mm-hmm. so it's it's you know it's done. It's mm-hmm. it is what it is. Um, and I have been building a better and better relationship with my mom. So uh, you know, when the time comes, I'll gladly do it. But um, as far as this is concerned, you're right in the sense that um, you know that uh, shoot what it, well I want I want to say this like I, I mm-hmm. a I understand. You know what we're saying is a lot, you know, easier said than done. Exactly. Yes. Um, and through this, I think there's a way to have compassion for your mom. Um, you know, she and I don't can't say this 100, percent but I, I'm sure there's a side to it where she's realizing certain her, her actions have kind of led to this way. Mm. You know, um, again, based off of what you're saying, I don't know if she has anyone in her life apart from um, her mm. to be able to take care of her in this situation, and that's why she's you know, desperately realizing that perhaps her actions have gotten to this place. Um, and she, you know, she doesn't probably have the right coping tools to be able to handle that sort of emotion. Um, but she knows, yeah, it's frightening in that sense. And that doesn't mean you can't have empathy, but that doesn't mean you should be walked on either. And yeah. And sacrifice potential, you know, your own, uh, Elaine's own relationships. Cause whether it's with her, her husband or wife, I don't know her life, her children. That's so, you know, that made me think of, you know, Elaine, I've been talking about you getting support, but I think it's like if you decide to help your mother, maybe it's not taking care of her yourself, but also giving her avenues, whether it's like a senior's home or like even like a group or something. I don't know where you live, but getting your mom's support as well, too. So that way, all of that emotional, physical, whatever it is, or a church, if you're involved, it's not on her. Yeah. No, I, that's actually really good advice. Well, I got that because of you, because we tag teamed it again. <laughs> Perfect. Look at this. We need to go on the do a road show. Perfect. Phil and Maddie. Phil and Maddie. Um, well, that's okay. That's our questions. If you know, if you're listening, you know, I'm trying to honestly. <laughs> so I went to a podcast conference, <laughs> and they said shows that get shows between thirty and forty five minutes get a lot more downloads. So I'm shortening my show, listeners. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm just trying something new. But we're not done yet. We have. I want to ask you something totally. I didn't tell you I was going to talk about this. If you want to talk about, it, I can totally edit it out, so it's not a big deal. But as someone who is in the business, like, how do you feel about, or what do you think about everything that's going on with Weinstein stuff? And I don't know if you've heard stories. It's interesting for me talking about it because everybody I've talked to in the business, someone has a story about a friend who was either involved with him or someone else that dealt with something like that. Like, mm-hmm. 
Um, do, would you have any opinions or experience? Here's here's the best that I can summarize it. It's um, you know, obviously I can't prove anything. I, I don't know anyone that's a hundred percent dealt with that situation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, from based off of what's happening, um, my heart goes out to the people that are coming forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, the, the it's saddening to me um that women have to be in this position and feel this way. Mm. Um, and you know, the fact that like, I understand that there's women who are still choosing to be quiet about certain things, Mm -hmm. um, simply because, you know, it can quote ruin their career. Mm -hmm. And that saddens me. What I feel, uh, what's most upsetting is the fact that, uh, I, you know, that it feels outside of my control. Um, and so I've been oh, thinking a lot about. I feel that way too. Now that you said that, like, what do I do? What can I do about this? It feels a little helpless. Yeah, because you know, certainly, if someone, let's say, a, a girl came up to me and she was confiding in me about, you know, anything that had happened, well, it's not my right to all of a sudden then raise the alarm unless she gave me the permission, mm. right? Um, and so, in that regard, I feel a little bit helpless. However, I've been thinking a lot about it in the past couple of days. And, you know, what I can take away from the experience for me personally, I think that's all I can do at the moment, is to um, sort of look at myself and see what can I gain from this experience. Mm-hmm. And what I can gain from this experience is, you know, I, I certainly, I, I, you know, pretty much can verify I've never done anything anywhere close to that level. And mm-hmm. yet I look at it like, have I played a perfect game? And, I have, you know, probably not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and someone was explaining this to me this weekend. Um, women don't like the use of the word female because it's dehumanizing. Well, you know, that's not something that I would have known. That's not mm. something that uh, certainly is, I don't think is reprimandable or, or fireable offense. But yeah, you know what? If I can be better and, and be conscious of that, then by all means. Um, so I'm trying to get those little tidbits. Um, what I truthfully don't want to take into a, a a level where all of a sudden we're just crossing completely the other way and Mm -hmm. nothing can be said and everything can be misconstrued because I do think there's intent as well um, that has to be a part of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think think a lot of like stuff that becomes way over PC for me, especially if somebody's a stand-up comedian and things like that, it's, uh, to me, I look at, well, what is the intention of what was said? It's like, like I disagree with a lot of uh, LGBT people when... I, I mean, I'm glad that RuPaul's not saying the word tranny anymore. I think it's not a word that I necessarily like to use. However, there was this vicious attack about RuPaul being this horrible person, and I wanted to say, look at your talk. Look at the intention that this comes with on this show when she's not tranny. She says um, she would say like there was a thing like they would it was a segment where she would be like, "You got she male," because it was like mm-hmm. saying uh, they were getting male, and people got so upset by it. And I thought. Do not. I know the trans movement's very different than the drag queen movement, but still, arguably, people are much more comfortable with the trans movement because of the steps RuPaul has done. And so, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to get off on a no, on no, that, but fine. I do think intention gets it gets lost sometimes in these things. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad it's being talked about at the very least. Yeah, agree. I think as men, we can all do better. Agreed, agreed, and you know, because there's been several men. Just uh, James Van Der Beek uh, just talked about when he was coming out that like his uh, he his butt was grabbed by a man and that he was like once kind of cornered by a man. And I thought about it made me think about, wait a minute, like kind of part of my shtick all the time is that 
I totally flirt with straight guys. And I don't mean anything with it because I know they're straight, but that it did, it did make me one of those things where like, wait, have I played a perfect game? Like, have I ever made someone feel uncomfortable? So, which I think, hopefully, we all do that because I think if you're trying to think, you're if you're trying to analyze and check yourself, then you're probably not a dick. Yeah, <laughs> and I think again, you know, in that regard, um, again, based on your intent and just your. I, I, you know, I think we have to all take the time to get to know a person, and at no point that I've known you has your intent um, and behind any humor or anything you've said not been genuine, comedic, um, and you know, just just authentic well, rather than you. malicious. Yes, that's. I hope so. I hope so very much. So, from my experience, um, that is the case. Well, thank you, Phil Speed. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, all right. So let's um, let's go to some chatty matty questions. All sure. right. So the first chatty matty question is. What is your most memorable childhood smell? Interesting. Um, it's okay to take time to think. It's a podcast. People can drive in silence, look at the road signs. <laughs> um, you know, we did a lot of uh, uh, camping slash fishing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's not one particular smell, but it's just being out there um, by the river. Sometimes the smell was good. Sometimes it was bad, it, whether that be fishy whether that be like literal animal shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, I have a lot of fond memories of that. <laughs> was that, that was in the East Coast camping? Uh, no, like, this was in Slovakia. In Slovakia? Yeah. Oh. It sounds like Slovakia is beautiful. Uh, yeah, you know what? It's on the up and up in terms of tourism. There's a lot of great stuff. So um, I, you know, challenge you to check it out if you have the ability to. In your What's life. the language? Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's an offset of like Russian, um, Polish is very similar, so it's mm. a Slavic language. It's specifically Slovakian. Um, if you know Czech, you can understand it. Do you, you speak know. it? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, that's that's sexy. I don't mean I'm not being sexually harassed, but it's sexy. Um, it's certainly not <laughs> French or Spanish, so it's not very <laughs> beneficial in the day to day. But at least you know it. Um, all right, chatty Maddie number two. Uh, what is the best piece of advice you wished you had taken earlier in life? Um, that's, uh, that's we're getting there. One. We're getting there. We're going deep. Um, I don't know. Um, it's all right. Think about it. I th- I can't say it's one particular advice. I mean, I think if nothing else, just to listen to your own self. Um, because a lot of the things, a a lot of the solutions in anyone's life are simple, mm-hmm. and they were there to begin with. We just mm-hmm. overcomplicate what was once simple, and then only to realize, hey, you know what? <laughs> it, 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 this is what it was all along mm-hmm. and I just made it overly complicated so I, I don't know if that's that's a piece of advice but for me just just A don't overcomplicate it um, plain and simple I think that's a great I think we overcomplicate things all the time all the time alright chatty Manny number three what is um, what was that I just went out of my head oh what would be the name of your memoir um, You're writing I, a book. I, I, I am actually writing this. Um, shoot. Oh, wow, you are? Uh, hold on. Let me, You're uh, actually writing your memoir right now? I don't think it's a memoir. It's more of an advice book. Oh, um, I li- we're going to have to have you back on when the book is published. <laughs> It'll be a little bit. Okay. Well, I ain't going anywhere, Phil. I ain't going anywhere. Let's see. Let's see. And if the title changes, that's fine. But Mm-mm-mm. I need to write a book. I just don't have too much KDD. I don't know what I'd write a book about. Hold on, sorry. Things I learned in alleys. That's that's not a book anybody wants to read. Okay, so it's called 
Um, this is what it would be called. Playing with my genius. Um, the fine line between success and suicide. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's like, that's so, a, wow. Have you, I mean, have you dealt with that? Deal with suicidality? Um, I think it's a very fine, I think anyone for the most part that is creative or has at least a dream, you know, um, there's, there's elements that can creep in. Yes. I agree with that. Agree you know, that. and I think it's, it is a very fine line. And I think more and more it's being brought to attention, mm-hmm. um, at least in American culture. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've dealt with people that have been suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've can't say that I've not had thoughts of suicide and so mm-hmm. forth. So I, I do think it is a very fine line that affects I'm, a lot of yeah. people. Oh yeah. And especially for artists, I've never gotten to like, I want to take my life, any of that, but honestly this year on it, I didn't realize, I just kind of realized this kind of, I think when I was out of it about a month ago, I didn't realize how much uh, my my dog passed away in June and I didn't realize how much that set me into grief. Mm-hmm. And even in April, whenever we found out she had a heart condition and she was kind of going up and down, I realized that I was dealing with depression. And because I would, I realized it because I was, it, I wasn't suicidal, but I had that like, that thought of, uh, I woke up that morning. And I thought I'd want to go back to sleep and not wake up. Or yeah. I want to sleep for like four or five weeks and then wake up and kind of want things to be, over and done with and that was a clue for me of whoa um and then the fact that when you're an artist on top of that it's just i just being transparent it's been kind of a i know people are listening to me like you were just on dr drew or you were on this yes things have kind of started happening but this honestly was a really uh slow year for me creatively and artistically uh, and that's one of the reasons actually why I started After Buzz because I was like I just needed a jump start and I needed to do something new. But when I was dealing with the fact, so normally I would cope with that pretty well. But then I was dealing with that effect of like of my dog dying and dealing with that was the first time for me. Um, you know, I'd had grandparents and things like that pass away, people like that that I saw intermittently. But this is the first time some someone or something that I saw every day in my life was gone or talked to hadn't I've luckily I haven't had to deal with that yet so I think it just it hit me in a way I didn't know and um yeah so um sorry I didn't mean to make this about me no but, no but uh it, yeah so anyway that's it but because I was dealing with the grief of my dog the artistic stuff not happening but like it was more raw and it felt it stung harder you know so I'll say this and it kind of goes I guess as far as advice it answers the other question a little bit better um someone told me this um Having suicidal thoughts is not actually a bad thing, which I'd never mm. considered, because it's, it's essentially a warning sign to change something within your own life. It's only when you start to think about, okay, how do I actually pull this it's off a, yeah, that you get plan. into bad territory. Yes, exactly. So if you're, you know, to anyone that is suicidal listening to this, it's it's not a bad thing, but, but use that as a way to see that, okay, in life, things aren't the way they should be mm-hmm. for you. And so how do I now fix that? So, yeah, if I don't want to wake up, what can I do when I wake up that I look forward to waking up? Yeah. Yeah, because that is really what I experienced was more suicidal. It's called ideation, suicidal ideation, and then there's actual suicide. So it's a whole different things. Sorry, everybody. We just went off on that. Uh, you're welcome. Um, um, hopefully, hey, hopefully listen, it You know what? If it helped somebody, then I'm glad. Yeah, me too. Uh, so that was Chatty Monday. I think, I think that was three. Yeah, three. So Chatty Monday number four. Um when is this am i on four are we on five i think we're on five actually chatty minute or five the last one when are you most inspired um 
it comes out of nowhere. You know, um, I'm most inspired when I least expect to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to have that sort of determination. Like I don't, you know, I think sometimes people think that, okay, I just won't do anything and then inspiration will come. Like I think you have to actively pursue it and do X amount of work. But then, at the, you know, and once you've done that and you can confidently say I've, I've, I've put in forth effort, now step back because you've earned that right as opposed to, mm. you know, what, I'm just going to be lazy and not do anything and it's going to come because it's not. That is so true. I think that when you said that, it hit me because I, I feel like we do that a lot. It's a lot of things will come to me. It's, um, you know, it's like people say, oh, I'll put like one video on YouTube and then it'll become viral. Well, that does happen for like people that also win the lottery, you know, <laughs> literally. Uh, so th- I don't think a lot of people realize how much work goes in for people to even be discovered on YouTube and things like that. And the same thing if they um, – uh, I love that, like work to be inspired instead of waiting for it, and then guess what? You'll you'll probably you'll probably be inspired, and you won't even know you're being inspired because you're just working towards it always. Yep. I love that. We are going on the Roadsville V Tech. We are now. Tell everybody where they can find everything, all things you. Uh, sure. So I've updated my website, philsvtech.com, and it's got all my social media, all my projects. So um, and Svitech, it's it's P H I L and then S V I T E K. Correct. Yeah, so S-V-I, V as in Victor, I-T-E-K.com, and the show notes, philvtech.com will be in the show notes. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so definitely check that out. I appreciate it. Um, anything that I do, I try to bring value to you guys, even if it's I, I do a South Park weekly show where we talk about the episodes or we rank various things. So I didn't know be, you did that show. I watched South Park. Yeah. It's a good, it, I started watching South Park again because I just need someone to kind of – make fun of everything again like with everything that's happening in our political climate and they do that absolutely so whether it's something as uh, silly and satirical as that or um, anatomy of a movie or um, other serious stuff so I'm always happy to partake in various ways oh yeah oh yeah I'll put if you're interested in Wonder Woman stuff I'll put the link to our Wonder Woman anatomy of a movie where we just talk about Wonder Woman for like two hours and I have a chubby the whole time because <laughs> I'm so excited uh, about it still. I think I've seen them. I saw it, ended up seeing it nine times in the theaters. And I think I've seen it twice now on my Blu-ray. Very happy for the movie. I'm, I'm very happy. It's going to do a lot of things for, I think, filmmaking in general. It's very exciting. So, okay, everybody. So, you know, you're going to Sville, Phil, Sville. I just can't. <laughs> that's your, I just can't. I just. All good. Sville. PhilSvitek.com. Um, thank you for being here. A boss. I appreciate it. And uh, for everybody else, you know the drill. Um, go do something for someone this week. And we'll see you next week. Bye.